I'm Kate Daniels. We are living in an interesting and very important time in history. It's as though we were at a crossroads and we need to choose the right path moving forward, the path of equity for all persons living in this country. A perfect person to give us insights and guideposts is Risha Grant, an internationally renowned diversity, inclusion, and bias expert. Risha Grant, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I am so grateful to have this opportunity to be able to share the your work, your knowledge, your insights on this very critical, important topic for each and every one of us. It's not just a topic. It's really a huge part of our lives anytime. But right now, we're really talking so much more about diversity and inclusion. And uh, with your work, with your writing, with your uh, business, you really focus on this, don't you? Yes, I have been living this for almost 25 years. It's, it's kind of uh, been part of my life really since high school. And was it really clear to you at that time, there's a lot of work to be done, so I'm really the person to get going and doing this? <laughs> yeah, it, it was really that and just, you know, when you sit in history class, history is not really taught the right way. And even as a kid being in high school, you know, we only learned about black people as, you know, and you might have learned about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, you know, Harriet Tubman, a few people, but there was nothing really that said to me, okay, who are these people before slaves? Is this all that they were? And, you know, and and being that young, it just, it feels um, depressing. Even though when you really think about the contributions that slaves made, it was amazing, but it's not taught in that way. So for me, it just kind of planted the seed that, I'm going to learn more about black culture and black history on my own. And then anything that I get get to write papers about where I get to choose a topic, I'm going to talk about that because I just don't think that, you know, people know enough. And so, yeah, it's been in me for a very long time. And now we who need to be learning so much more and understanding and growing you're here to help us get at least uh, a little bit of that insight so uh, to give us direction on where we need to go because we're not just talking about the adults here we're talking about us our children all these staggering ages you know mm-hmm. uh, the different ages of people that need to kind of get this insight so how do you suggest we go about this Risha we have to make sure that ourselves as adults that we are we are doing things in a way well let me back up i'm from the generation of do as i say not as i do (laughs) and and i'm not sure that works that well but even more so now kids are watching us and if you don't have friends of different races if you're not proximate to people that are different from you if you if your kids hear you talk about things that are happening in the world things that regarding race and and uh LGBT, LGBT people and people that are just different, they hear you talk about that negatively, they pick all of that up. And so someone like myself, I've had to go into middle schools and high schools to do emergency diversity and inclusion training because those kids are not taught. And, and then when I go and, and speak to all of these groups, you know, speak to 20,000 people, it is literally adults. Like Those kids become adults who do these same things and you know, and we're not doing a good job of showing kids um, 
that we're better than this. So really, it should start with the adults. We need to know and not just know, we need to be embracing and living this, right? Yes, yes. We need to make sure that when we're talking around our kids that we're just, we're not just talking, but we're explaining things. You know, um, if your kids don't have any friends that are of a different race, how is it that you can change that as a parent? Studies show that you should read to your kids. Read to your kids about um, racism, but not just about it, but the effects of it and what it's done in our country. And I was reading a study just the other day that said they, um, they did a study asking white parents to, um, to read to their kids about race. Over 60% of them did not want to do that, and if they did, they didn't talk about the effects of race. But in the kids, in the parents um, who did take that extra step and talk to their kids about the effects of it, their kids felt differently about it. They understood it. And, I, and you know, you can talk about that in a way that is non-judgmental, in a way that is not going to make your kids feel bad about anybody. It, these are just these are just the facts of what has happened and how it has marginalized groups of people. And we need to be honest about that. Right. And it just occurs to me as you're saying this about reading to our kids makes me think about how to go about that. If parents are uncomfortable, I'm going to give an easy option. Take the kids to the libraries. I think libraries all along have been well, I'm going to say maybe at least in the last decade or two, been better mm-hmm. about having um, children's reading times that they will mm-hmm. really include a diverse uh, series of books to read. So is that one place for, for parents to start and, and feel maybe a little bit of support and encouragement going forward? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's a great idea. I had not thought about that, but I do know that libraries have story time. Yes. And with right now with what's going on in the world, they would be a great place to to not only bring kids of different races together, but to be able to read from a book that is designed to teach them about a really tough topic. And so I think I think that's a great idea, but I also think it's important that if we as adults don't have friends outside of outside of different races, it's going to be even more difficult for you to understand and be able to talk to your kids. And honestly, the, the richness of that, even if you just do it, don't, don't do it for all the reasons that we're talking about. Just having somebody that has lived a, a different lived experience than you makes a difference. You know, and the other thing I would say is we lived through the past pains and hurts and experiences of the people who raised us. So unconscious bias, in a lot of ways, it's taught to us as a way to protect us. You know, so, for instance, my grandmother, born in 1923, Oklahoma, as a black woman, her whole deal was to teach her kids and grandkids how to navigate this world as a black person, which we do have to navigate the world differently. And in that, she had validated bias because of the things that she'd gone through. But to her, it was worth teaching us, well, they may not treat you this way. They may not teach you this way. They may think you did this because she was trying to protect us, but it's still where I learned unconscious bias. And at the time that I learned it, I had not had one bad experience with a white person, but she had. So we lived through those things, and because the people who raised us, we love them more than anything, we take that at face value. So we have to, we have to explain why that is, not just that it happened. So that 
was your experience and the experience, no doubt, of probably all black children growing up that way. Mm-hmm. But all of us have that unconscious bias that we're growing up with, correct? Exactly. That's what I mean. It, we're yeah. living through those past pains and experiences because if if someone did something, say, to your mother or your grandmother and they were of a different race, they're going to carry that. And the thing that we do horribly is that we don't deal with the person who created the offense. We deal with everybody who looks like that person. So now we have a bias against an entire group of people because one person did something that was hurtful, that was offensive. And we've got to start dealing with people for who they are and not for everybody that looks like them because that's that's where we see a lot of problems begin. So there's basically a, a, a foundation for us to work from is this area of unconscious bias and mm-hmm. needing to, well, maybe we're not even aware that that exists. You are aware of it and you're talking mm-hmm. about it, but maybe many of us don't know that that's the case for ourselves. Exactly. And that's, and that's exactly why it's unconscious. Um, because, you know, if you look it up, it'll say hidden preferences that we have for others. But my definition for it is that it's an unrecognizable part of our upbringing. And so I developed a really easy three-step process to help people become cognizant of their um, unconscious bias. The first step is identifying it. Where did it come from? You know, who makes you uncomfortable and why? So I usually ask my audiences to imagine that they're on an airplane. They've announced that the flight is completely full, but that middle seat next to you is open. And we've all done it. We look and we look, we see who's coming, and we are just sitting there like, please don't sit here, please don't sit here, please don't sit here, you know. And it, that person could be obese. That person may have facial tats and dyed hair and piercings everywhere. Maybe that person is just of a different race. Maybe they have a kid strapped to the front that's already screaming. You know, for all these reasons, we don't want this person to sit next to us. Maybe they have on a turban or a hijab. You know, instead of us saying, you know what, this is a great time to break down a barrier, you know, because I feel a little uncomfortable, but I can I can ask this person a few questions. I can talk to them. It, if you'll do that, it begins to break down barriers. Because, for instance, when I see someone with facial tats, I know it's going to be a great conversation because I, I want to know, man, what made you put that AK-47 across your forehead, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I automatically assume that my bias is I automatically assume that they work for themselves because who's going to hire you with that, right? And I've noticed, though, when, when you can identify your bias and, and just the simplest way to think of it is who makes me uncomfortable and why, and begin to ask yourself questions. Could my thinking about this be wrong? Am I making an assumption about a person? You know, because we can truly do that. You know, real quickly, I met a guy who actually had 666 tatted across his forehead. And as open as I am, I felt really uncomfortable with this. But I'm talking to the guy, and he is talking about parent-teacher association, you know, PTA, and he's the sweetest guy. And that day, our newspaper released an article that they would get rid of gang-related and racist tattoos for free. So I'm thinking, gosh, I should tell this guy because, you know, he doesn't look like he reads the paper, right? (laughs) And so when I tell him, he just starts laughing and said, hey, you're the fifth person today that's told me this. And he began to explain to me that 666 was not satanic. It was actually a gang that he was in. 
his whole life. He's like, I've heard a lot of people. I've gone to prison. But people in gangs know what this means. They see me living my life differently, and I've led hundreds of people out of gangs. That was, that was all on me. So once you identify your bias, you attribute it. Is that my issue or is that their fault? That is my issue. Who cares if this man wants to walk around with 666? If his wife is okay with it, what does it matter to me? You know, so think about that. So you identify, then you own it. You say, when you say out loud to yourself some of the biases that you have, you, it sounds like the BS that it is. And then you confront it. And confronting it means that you're going to be intentional about trying to break down those barriers. Meaning if I get to sit next to a person that makes me uncomfortable, I am going to figure out how to start a conversation with this person just so that I can get to know a little bit more about them because it begins to break down those barriers. Once you can laugh with the person and you see that you have similarities, you begin to care less about their exterior and how they look. Right. Breaking it down like this, Risha, makes it seem so sensible, so simple, Mm -hmm. and yet uh, I'm sure that you get pushback. I can sense that there probably is some, but really what what we want to do is embrace it and have us move together forward. How do you approach that? I just tell people that we have to get over ourselves. We literally do. You know, we, we are so, you have to have personal accountability. We're so caught up in, in our, what our company should be doing, what should be happening in our communities. And Lord knows we talk about what our government should be doing on a daily basis. But the only thing you can truly control is yourself. So if we would show up as better people, if we would do the work and say, you know what, I'm a good person, but I really need some work in this area so that I can become better for myself, for my kids. You know, I believe in addressing it from a micro level. We're all centers of influence to someone. And if we would just reach those people, we would begin to see change because now as that better person, I'm showing up at work. I'm showing up in the community. I'm showing up in in government maybe, and I'm beginning to – create change because I'm, I'm changing. So we can't keep putting it off on anybody else. We have to say that, you know, I, because we're so quick to judge someone, like we can see someone coming at us and, and make a snap judgment about them, stick them in a box. And then we don't recognize that our bias shows up in our behavior and how we treat them whether we're just rude, whether we avoid them, whether it's silence, like people feel all of that stuff. It makes work environments toxic. And you're thinking, well, nobody knows that I really don't like this person. Well, that person knows. They feel it. Your kids hear you talk about it when you get home. Now they don't like that person and they've never had that. So it is really incumbent upon us to be the change you want to see. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's, it's so true. I'm right there with you on that. Yes. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Yes. Take that. Own it, right? Yes. Yeah. So true. So that's it. We're we're discussing this. We're putting forth these ideas. And it may feel awkward and uncomfortable, but that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. It, It really is. But you know, we felt awkward and uncomfortable many times in our lives. We will continue to feel that in different areas, but it only feels like that for a minute. 
Mm-hmm. Because when you begin to develop and build authentic relationships with people that are different from you, you can call them. You can say, help me understand this, or I don't understand this, or am I crazy because um, this is happening. But you, you have the opportunity to then be able to understand it from, from someone that maybe is going through it. You know, we tend to um, give our friends a lot of grace. A lot of grace. You know, we're, we don't, if we're honest with ourselves, our friends have so much influence on our lives. There's probably somebody we don't like from the fifth grade because of something our friends said when we were in elementary school. But the reality is that there are times when we need to make sure to let our friends know that the way that they're showing up is wrong. You know, and, and we have to take, I just, it's all about personal accountability. It really is. I don't, I don't see any other way for us to get there. And now I will say alternatively that as we're, as we are taking personal accountability for these things, the companies that we work for and the organizations that, that we work with need to be, need to also have policies in place that's going to back up these changes. And that's the place that we are, I think, with many companies now is uh, really what has gone on uh, in these last couple of months since the the murder of George Floyd is we're seeing mm-hmm. that heightened awareness. And it feels, would you say it feels stronger than it's ever felt in history that we're moving forward? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. In, in my lifetime, I've been doing this work a lot. And I have never seen the support that has come from white people um, that that I've seen when George Floyd was murdered. Because if you know, if you remember, you had Ahmaud Arbery the week before, which he had been murdered two months prior to, but it just came out the week before. Then you had Breonna Taylor. Then you had George Floyd, and in between that, you had the white woman in Central Park, and I think she does not get enough exposure to her role in this because if you watch the video she really like she weaponized you could just by the way that she said it um she she weaponized i'm gonna call the police and tell them a black man is bothering me is harassing me that man was not doing anything but you could hear it just in the way that she said it like you know this is um I, can, I know I can do this because of who you are, of what you look like. And I think all of those things played such a big part in the change that we see. Like, I am so glad that whatever it took, whatever moved people, that they were moved. Because what affects the least of us is eventually going to affect most of us. And we have got to... Um, We've got to keep doing that. I was so, I mean, I, I was really taken aback to see the protests, to see the number of white people. To, I remember seeing a picture of a group of white women who joined arms and, and stood before this young black man who was on the ground and the police was coming at him and they stood in front of him and formed this barrier. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, it was amazing. So it's great to hear you say that you're really noticing it, that it is very positive. So change is afoot. And yet, the obviously, we can't say, great, we're moving in the right... Well, we are moving in the right direction, but there's still so much work to be done. And you were saying then, Risha, that 
this has to start or be done in our companies, in our businesses, that this is all taken into account. You do that work with businesses. Mm -hmm. Do you have any words of wisdom as to how we can have our employers really follow to to make sure this we change that culture or make it the the right kind of inclusive culture? Yeah, I, well, with companies, it's going to all be about policy. You know, what policies do you have in place? What is your culture statement? Like, what is it if I come to you with an issue? Because I, I tell companies in leadership, they need to listen, validate, and act. Listen to your employees. Validate what they're, what they're saying to you and then cr- show action. Because a lot of companies are stuck at this, we're having the conversation. And, and that is extremely important. Because we've historically been told to stay away from race, religion, and politics at work. And now we're saying we can't. We can't stay away from race. We're going to have the conversation. But you also need to realize that for your black employees and people of color, they've been having this conversation since birth. This conversation is not a big deal for them. But the action part of it will be a big deal. So if you can actually have the conversation and create action around it, then everybody is getting something out of it. And by action, it comes to those inclusive policies. Do you have a no retaliation policy? Do you have a zero tolerance policy? You know, what happens when someone continually creates a work environment by uh, saying things that are racist or saying things that are sexist or uh, saying things against LGBT plus people? Like, what happens? There has to be something that will back that up. You know, historically, uh, companies have... Things happen. They don't. They didn't want to touch it. You know, I remember a client that I had where they kept reporting every day that they would come to work, and and this was a huge company, but they would come to work and someone was hanging nooses from the ceiling. To me, that's a one-time deal. Like we need to figure out what's going on. But they allowed it to happen so long that the black employees then had to um, had to hire a huge lawyer, and they had been report- like, I don't, I don't understand why that's not taken care of immediately. You know, why is it that you have to, we have to go to this, this point of getting lawyers not, that is going to make that entire group of people feel that nobody cares about what's happening to them, their well-being. You're allowing this to happen, saying this is not a big deal. It, there's, that can no longer be how we handle these things. And you're only going to create that change with policy. Right. And, this is where we, as the employees, too, uh, ought to be feeling empowered that if we're seeing the right action not happening is to, to speak up. We we need to make our voices heard. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, I mean, it would just, it will totally change the game for your employees to know that, you know what, I can actually um, go and talk to HR and know that something will be done. And that something doesn't always, because... Even um, those same black employees and employees of color will tell you, well, we don't necessarily want somebody to be fired simply because we said something. We just may need to work with HR to figure out how to deal with it. Like, this happened. I want to make you aware of it. But it's not always that we just we want something horrible to happen to this person. It's just this is happening, and it's making the work environment extremely uncomfortable. So how do we begin to deal with it? And see – any diversity training that you do at work or anywhere, it's only as good as the people who want to do the work. You mean so, those those involved in the in it, or even the ones who are leading uh, these groups? 
Exactly. All, all of that. So exactly. So the it it begins then really it's right at the beginning with personal accountability. Each one of mm-hmm. us has to feel dedicated to wanting to be the best we can be to make this the best community, make this the best state, make this the best world ultimately. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I just and I and that starts with our kids. It really does. Like, I think we all need to leave the world better than we found it. But those kids that aren't getting this at home become the the people that I talk to as adults now. I feel like I travel the world just telling adults how to treat, treat each other with kindness, common courtesy, and respect. And those are all things that we should have learned when we were kids. And we did in most cases. I just somewhere along the way, we just stopped caring about that. Yes. A little bit of greed entered into the picture, and um, you know, mm-hmm. it's a me, me, me kind of society for a while. But we are at a, at a real crucial point in history in our lives. I feel, and and the pandemic, I don't think, has played any small part in maybe make us making oh, wow. us more conscious of it. Right? Yeah, the pandemic. You know, my hope is that it showed the disparity. Um, in, in what's, I mean, you look at some states and cities and you just had black folks and people of color that were continuously, because you begin to see that they have these jobs that they can't, they can't not work. You know, they, they're not able to, um, to be able to sit at home and work from home and get on a zoom call. And I think it just showed a lot of disparity, not just for, uh, people of color and black folks, but also just even poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, that we really have work to do. We don't have a lot of equity here. And there's a big difference between equity and equality. You know, I think that all these years you hear people striving for equality, but my take on that is that equality is there's always going to be someone that lives in a bigger house, has more money, you know, um, has this awesome job title. But with equity, it gives us the tools to all start from the same place. And we need to be focused on equity and how it is that we can provide the tools for everyone to have the same opportunity. Not that we're going to all get there, but if we can all start the same place, that's, that's fair enough. Because I'm for pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm for hard work. Um, all of those things are impar- important. But when you have so many, so many areas and in industries where systemic racism has been interwoven into, into everything from government to healthcare to our corporations to um, – Oh, gosh, housing, you know, it's really hard for people to be able to have have those same opportunities to, to create a quality of life that they want for themselves. Wow, that is really powerful. And that really is at the crux of it. So you're giving us another tool, another focus to really be conscious of, to be aware of, to make sure that we are all really striving to have equity in our world, in our community, in our workplaces. That's that's going to be a big part of it. And to model this for our children. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We have to. I mean, who else is going to do it? You know, we, I just, we owe it to them. We, we owe it to them. Like, it breaks my heart to think that my niece and nephew would be having the same conversations as they become adults. And I was thinking that they're, now they're 12 and 19, but when they were babies, you know, I'm thinking, I really hope that they can focus on something else. Like race is a social construct. 
something made up to reign over others. Like it's not even a real thing. And they said this, I think, in 1940s. Like this is a, it's a social construct. And we need to think of it as such. But for whatever reason, we're so stuck on something as simple as race that we have made life impossibly hard for groups of people based on something that they can't even change. Right. Now, that is something that is heartbreaking, and and we need desperately to change that. And, Risha, I, I really appreciate you because you're so passionate and articulate about stating it for us and it, it and boiling it down to something very simple these simple steps that we can take right now and be acting to make change to create change be that change in our world exactly yeah. exactly so you have a thank website you. oh you're welcome i thank <laughs> you you have a website which i think is a great source of information for people let's mention that yeah, it's RishaGrant.com, R-I-S-H-A-G-R-A-N-T.com. So lots of great information there, including that you have this book, which is also a great resource for people with interesting title. That's BS, but it stands for? <laughs> it stands for Bias and Nass, but it's a play on the other word, because yeah. I feel like when we treat people badly based on some diverse characteristic. It is BS. The bias synapse uh, stands for um, your brain's role, it, or it talks about your brain's role in unconscious bias. But by no means is it a an academic book. I don't get into a lot of um, terminology and academia and, and all of those things. It is really a, a book that I use storytelling to teach how it is that we've come to acquire this and what it is that we need to do to move past it. Well, stories are definitely a great way to teach, which is why we want to read to our kids and why this book, too, will be a great resource for us. But to begin it all, you've been with us. I so greatly appreciate your giving us your time, Risha Grant. It's been quite wonderful and informative. Thank you so much.